On today's episode of the Cosmos Podcast, I sit down in studio with Ken Vesna. Ken is the Vice President of Business Operations for the Brampton Beast, the ECHL affiliate of the Montreal Canadiens. Ken has built his career in minor league hockey with stops in his hometown of Winnipeg, Manitoba, along with Jacksonville, Florida, and Augusta, Georgia. Ken and I discuss the unique challenges of minor league hockey and what he enjoys most about the minor league side of sports. We also touch on the changing media landscape and how that impacts teams like the Brampton Beast. If you have any questions about what's discussed on the podcast, you can reach us at info at cosmosports.com. And if you like what you hear, we very much appreciate a rating or a review. We hope you enjoy. on we've got ken vesna in studio yeah what a studio it is yeah what do you think of, what do you think of our setup here? <laughs> yeah it's a pretty impressive setup it's amazing what uh the way technology's gone and you listen to i've listened to all the episodes so far and you know you think that it's in a studio or that's an actual studio not in your office with the same stuff on the wall that's been on the wall for five years that i've known you so that's <laughs> yeah. pretty pretty remarkable that you can sort of put this together yeah, I, when we first started this podcast thing, I had no idea what we were really getting into, but figured you'd, you'd kind of put together a couple of USB mics, a laptop, and put a sign <laughs> on the door that says we're recording and yeah. call it a studio. Yeah, and hopefully people don't start knocking on doors and they actually read the sign, which, you know, it's, it's touch and go at the best of time because people typically miss those. So Yeah, yeah so far, good. so good. We've, we haven't had any major interruptions, but yep. um, yeah, based on who's uh, two doors down from me in the office. I think we might get interrupted <laughs> at some point one of these days. So I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, well, yeah. So thanks. Thanks a lot for, for doing this. Um, taking some time out to, to uh, be on the podcast. Uh, I guess, I mean, where we kind of wanted to, to get started with was, I mean, you've, you've, you know, spent your career really in, in, in uh, minor league sports and minor league yeah. hockey. Yeah. And, and now obviously with the, with the Brampton beast as, uh, mm-hmm. as the vice president of business operations. But, um, I guess you know, from your based on your work uh, in minor league sports, you know, what what do you enjoy mo- most about working in minor league sports, and um, you know, compare that to you know maybe the major leagues and, and what some of the, yeah. the differences are. You know, I, it's a good question. I think it's uh, evolved um, over the course of the um, about ten twelve years that I've been in the industry. Um, you know, when I got started, it was definitely just being around, <laughs> just being being around the. Uh, like the game and being in, and having an excuse to be in hockey and, and in sports. And uh, I couldn't uh, at all articulate why I wanted to be in sports. I just knew that's what I wanted to do and, and that's what I was going to try to do. Um, as I move forward and as I experience more things, I think what I really enjoy about being in minor league sports specifically um, really has to do with the effect that uh, I find the unique effect that minor league sports can have on a, on a community and, and have on individual families and individual people. Um, that's what I see. Um, you know, obviously we're, we're in Toronto. This is where we live and, 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 and breathe and the Leafs are massive and the, and the Raptors are massive and TFC is super popular. Um, but it's the person to person impact, you know, we, with the beast and, and anybody that does any research, a big thing that we do is sort of post game skates on Sundays and that sort of thing. And, and to see, you know, our players interacting with the fans on, on not just uh, yes, I'll sign your autograph and take a picture level, but really become, you see friendships evolve and you see, 
um, them teaching the kids how to skate and do different things. And, the, and I remember myself as a kid growing up in Winnipeg, the impact that any type of interaction like that had. And Winnipeg being a, uh, sort of the smallest big town that I that I know and um, really a community feel, you almost got that. It was almost like a minor league team with the Winnipeg Jets and the Blue Bombers and that sort of thing where you had to interact with the people in Winnipeg or else um, you'd just be sort of pushed aside. In minor league sports, you get that that connection. So I really see what... Um, uh, you know, teams can 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 do for families and for individuals and, and that sort of thing. That's so that's been a big joy for me. Is try to bring that to as many markets and to as many places as possible and as many people. So, so minor, minor league sports and minor league baseball, um, you know, is really known for its its crazy marketing and, and that kind of oh, stuff. Yeah, is that for sure? Is that the same in, in minor league hockey from from your experience? Um, yeah, I I think it's uh, it's behind baseball uh, baseball. And I'm blanking on the names, but I had some pioneers early on that really transformed the the experience of going to a baseball game. Really made it about the entertainment and not the not the score. And it's gone to such an extent to where I think, you know, having lived in some some cities with, in the U.S. with minor league baseball teams, where people really have no earthly idea whether the team's doing well or not, winning a championship or not. You have your car core diehards, um, but it's just a vault where it's it's really the same as going to. Um, any sort of like a, a trampoline park or a zoo or something like that. You're, you're sort of experiencing it for the moment, sorry, and then it's over and, and, and people move on. I think hockey um, is going that direction, at least from an entertainment side. And what I kind of like that hockey's doing right now, and it may still evolve and get away from it, is still keeping that that care about the about the team. So we, as much as I am with the Beast and the same when I was in Augusta and Jacksonville, push the entertainment side as much as possible and something that, you know, really matches well with, with Kerry Kaplan's and Cosmo Sports' philosophy. And I think that's why this relationship always works so well. Really push the entertainment, but there's still the respect for the, for the, for the hockey side. Um, and I find in baseball, some markets that's sort of lost and you, and you sort of lose that. It's become such a, such a sideshow and circus, which I'm all for. And I love that aspect of it. People really have no clue whether the team's doing well, or, and it's a tough balance test thing. So I think that's a bit of a difference. Hockey still may be evolving in that direction, and we still may get there. There are markets um, where the the entertainment and the, and the and the contests and the jokes and all that really play a huge role. But I'm also wondering if there's not something intrinsically different about hockey and baseball that causes people to to, to sort of gravitate towards uh, towards the hockey side still and caring about the team and the results and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned being you know, born and raised in, in Winnipeg, mm-hmm. um, and that and that's where you got your your start in, in, in minor league hockey yep. with the with the yep. Moose, correct? Well, sure. I think there's not many people. If you ask me, the people who are at the Moose. I don't know if they'll necessarily remember me too much, but that's where I got. I'll definitely remember getting my start um, and a really informal start at that. It was probably the most informal internship that you could possibly have, and I use the quotes uh, for that because it was. Uh, um, you know, really my job was, uh, my, my buddy who was an actual intern in a community, uh, I forget what his actual position was, Jamie Van, and he was, a um, on a community team as all volunteer. Uh, and he, he sort of was just doing it and suggested, Hey, do you want to come hang out with me at the Winnipeg arena and, and do a couple things around? And that's how I got my start. It was really, yeah, sure. I'll come by. I got nothing better to do. Um, and it evolved from there. It, it, it sort of. Uh, didn't involve that much with the moose, but it started to help the corporate team putting up rink boards and stuff, which is hilarious now to think about because that's 
you know, such a huge part of uh, the job that we, you know, delegate to other interns with us. But uh, just the just the go, like a purely go for role where I was just running around, dropping off pocket schedules and posters, and start from that ground level with the moose. So I never, um, you know, pretty tough thing getting getting any sort of paid job in, in Winnipeg with the local pro pro team, whether it's the moose or the Jets or that sort of thing. So it was really cool, but it did give me that backside and all that backstage sort of view of that was my first introduction of what working with a sports team really was and these guys are pretty stressed out on game days and they're running around like crazy and there's some pretty cool perks that go along with it and that was sort of my that gave me sort of the springboard to really want to pursue it any uh any crazy stories you can recall from uh from back in those internship days from the moose um so it was <laughs> i do remember one day um we were putting up rink boards which was probably the vast majority of what we did and uh it was preseason but there was a preseason nhl game uh, being played there so it was vancouver canucks who was the the affiliate of the moose at the time um against i don't remember who and i remember at one point we were putting the rink board up and and uh not really paying attention to what was going on and um it's right in front of the bench near the the tunnel where the players come on and off and um, just out of nowhere, you hear, uh, well, it looks good, boys. And look up, and here's Trevor Linden, captain of the, <laughs> of the Vancouver Canucks, just sort of looming over top of us where we're on our knees, sort of you know, laying on the ice trying to get these rink boards up uh, or dashboards, if you're listening from the States. They call them dashers down there. I've had to shift my, shift my language here uh, a couple times, moving back and forth from Canada. But uh, that was a pretty cool thing. I, not a ton of crazy stories. I mean, just... Funny situation. You always find yourself in funny situations. You know, we standing down in a, a home opener for the Moose of the, what must have been the twenty two thousand two two thousand three season or two thousand three two thousand four, and uh, just walking by with my mom, who I was happy to get tickets for, and that was one of the perks to to volunteering and uh, the the uh, marketing guy, the director of marketing for the Moose just grabs me by the shirt and points up to the big seat covers they got and like almost falling off. Can you help with that? And you got to, of course, run up 40 flights of stairs and go, go take care of that. And, and that's just that it's just stuff like that. Nothing, not, nothing too crazy happened in, in Manitoba. We just didn't, wasn't there quite long enough, but getting to, you know, getting those backstage, back, back, backstage experiences and getting to see meet Trevor Linden and that sort of thing was sort of like wow cool thing this is pretty brutal work sometimes but cool things happen that that concept of, of kind of being the being the gopher and, and being willing to do just about anything is pretty you, you hear that story a lot with people who have who've made a career in this industry and in sports um I get what, what would you say you know as you know taking from that experience you know first getting started out in in sports and in doing that kind of stuff i mean what would you what kind of advice would you give to people that are are just trying to start out or just trying to break into this industry well and i think i i mentioned things have evolved over the course of the 10 12 years so my answer my answer to this would change dramatically over that time but um now being on the side that i'm on and, and having a conversation and finally just had a conversation at the office before coming over here about similar type of things and talking about interns and 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 uh what we look for and, and, uh, you know, for me, for someone just starting out, um, if you're, if I'll just start, if you're in a GTA, if you're in Toronto or a market like that, Los Angeles, New York, um, major, major markets, you're, you're already got a foot up on a lot of other people because I can tell you coming from a place like Winnipeg, which 
has three or four you know professional sports teams very difficult to break in very very hard and so this is going to apply there in the GTA I've seen a lot of people that get to start and continue on in the in the industry without ever really being particularly good um, at anything and they and they find it just because there's a lot more opportunity in this uh, in this area but um, you know if you're if you're not so lucky and you're in a place where it's a lot more limited. You have to show the number one thing you have to do is show that you care and show that you are motivated to make this a career and that you're not going to let anything stop you. So how that applies to, to, to sort of being the gopher and doing anything is you got to do it. You got to, you got to be willing to, um, almost paraphrasing Gary Vaynerchuk, but I don't know how, how we are with the uh, vulgarity on the show, but, uh, yeah, you, you have to be willing to eat it for, for, for a year, two years, do things that you, you wouldn't normally want to do or have to do. And, and it pays off, but you've got to be willing to do that. If you're always, if you're the one sort of getting you know, like, uh, dragging your butt, doing stuff that you don't want to do. And that's visible to, uh, the people above you, you're not going to go too far. You, it may seem like pointless work, but it's accomplishing something for somebody above you and you have to do it. You have to go out and, and do it with a smile on your face. And those are the people that, you know, regardless of how talented they are, those are the ones that end up moving on the most. You, you alluded to it as well. I mean, uh, moving around. like you, You've moved around to three or four markets in, in, in your career so far. Um, any thoughts on how important that is, like that willingness to, to move? Uh, it definitely helps. <laughs> I can tell you it, it – uh, and as you move on in your career, it's going to become a, a, a bigger decision. Um, you know, I had to leave Winnipeg. Uh, I had to go down to Jacksonville, Florida to get my first real opportunity. Even that was for an unpaid internship. It started off and then it evolved into something much bigger and, and, and greater. But um, moving definitely, I don't know what my you – know, I'd like to think I'd find my way onto the Moose or with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers or with the Gold Eyes. I, I would like to think I'd find a way. That'd be much more difficult. What we find and what we see is the people that move up the quickest, geography isn't as much a factor for them. They find a way to make it work in different markets. Um, everyone's life situation is different. So that's not a, that's not mandatory. That's not a required thing, but, but it's definitely going to help you move quicker. Um, and there's a lot of value to it, to be honest, you know, me, you know, I, I don't know if I have this job if I don't, if I don't work in Southern markets where hockey is a sideshow and entertainment focused and uh, it definitely made me a better, have a better scope at, uh, of what, um, what the market demands and what the opportunity is as opposed to just being somebody that comes from Winnipeg and where everyone goes to the rink and just watches the game and could care less about, you know, different promotions and music and everything else. It, it, it gives you, you know, if you're, if just like anything else, if you work in a diverse uh, in an industry in a bunch of diverse markets, you're going to become a better, better, um, better professional because you have a, a wider sort of perspective. Yeah, for sure. So, so Jacksonville, that was you said, you know, that was your next stop after mm-hmm. uh, after the Moose, and it was your first yep. kind of uh, you know internship and then real job in, in yep. the sports industry. Um, how, how did I mean? How did that opportunity even come around? How did you how did you find a team <laughs> in Jacksonville and then decide I was going to yeah. pick up and move there? Um. So I made the decision at some point. I was working in Winnipeg. I was actually working for the Tommy Hilfiger store as manager, uh, one of the managers, not even not top, probably the lowest manager there is. 
making enough money mm-hmm. to still living at home. So money wasn't an issue really. And um, I decided that this is what I wanted to do. And so I just, um, it, it's a pretty good lesson actually because I just, and I was one of these guys also, I'll say, that I was, I'd had in my head, I did not want to be a salesperson. I didn't want to sell. I wanted to be, my degrees in marketing, I don't want to sell. I just want to, you know, do more cool marketing things and that's, that's going to be how I, and eventually I'll be a GM of a hockey team. And <laughs> it was, it was funny how the first thing I had to do is start cold calling in order to get into the business. So I started just picking up the phone and calling teams. Um, the internet was, uh, I had the internet, <laughs> so that helped, which wasn't a guarantee at that time. Yeah. Uh, I think I had the internet for about three years at that point. So I just started looking up, looking up websites and leagues and, and, uh, um, I don't remember how I was aware that the SBHL was a new league that was starting up, um, but I was aware, and uh, I looked at their teams, and um, part of what drew me to Florida was I had this huge idea that I was going to end up you know, getting my master's in sports management from the University of Florida, which has a renowned sports management program, and I was going to get my master's, and if I could get down there and work then you know I could get my residency, and it wouldn't cost as much for me to go take this program. And it shows you I was so sure of this plan. So I started. Okay, which hockey teams? I know the, SB, the SBHL starting. They have a team in Orlando. And they have a team in Jacksonville. Um, and I have no concept at this point that it's a brand new team in Jacksonville, and that there's nobody there yet. Um, and I made the call, and and uh, the the. At the time, the business manager, um, Joe Joe Richard, who's now one of my best friends in in the world. Um, you know, big, great, big, uh, sort of French Canadian from, uh, from New Brunswick picks up the phone and, um, you know, basically my pitch to him was I, I've got a, I've got a degree and I'm, I can write and, you know, I'd like to work and I work for nothing. <laughs> and, and his response was, uh, well, get down here cause we need a, all the help we can get and, you know, whatever we can do. And, you know, I, I just needed a place to live and, and they provided that and that's how that came up. So I was, I had some savings. I was willing to work for free. I didn't, I wanted to get out of Winnipeg at that time as, a, you know, a lot of 22, 23 year olds in, in Winnipeg after spending the whole life there want to, and then they end up wanting to come back. But that's a whole nother story. But, um, you know, I was ready to move. I was ready to go and, and it, it was an opportunity and, and, you know, Jill was just, Elated to have some help because it was August and they had just op- started opened up the, the office and they were getting ready to play in October and so that's what I ended up walking into was holy cow we've got a you know first game in two months how are we going to do this and and that sort of trial by fire was really really what what gave me my my first chance. So Jacksonville obviously not your traditional hockey market that mm-hmm. um, wouldn't be the first thing you'd think of if you, when you think of Jacksonville you might think of. Uh, <laughs> warm weather or, or even you know football right? and, you're uh, definitely NFL thinking team. about football yeah nfl team yeah um, so so i guess in those early days i mean what did you guys do to, to try to help yourself stand out and differentiate yourselves that so here's the good thing the, the 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 plus with being in a market like jacksonville is that you are the only hockey team so anybody in within a 50 mile radius of jacksonville florida is aware of a hockey team if you have if you're from the north if, you, people know that you you exist because they care about hockey, and so that's the, that was the core of our fan base. We're, we're hockey fans from um, the season ticket holders. We're all from Jacksonville. They were just you know great Southern people that wanted to support any pro team that's in the area. And it's the same people that went to Jag games, and the, at the time it was the Jacksonville Suns. Now it's the Jumbo Shrimp. But, 
um, you know, the same course type season ticket holders. And then it was all people that, you know, were from, you know, Philadelphia or Boston or New York. And they were just, there was a ton of sort of Northern transplants. So we didn't, we didn't have the capability of doing very much if we're being honest. We had an ad agency that, that helped get some billboards out some and some, you know, we, we were able to do some relationships with uh, local TV and radio to get, you know, some trade deals to get the word out a little bit. But that's, you know, our office, we were so small. We were, you know, really three or four people um, deep that to, to serve a market like Jacksonville with that small of a staff is extremely, extremely difficult tie in it too. I had no, I'm unpaid and I don't even know anything about what I'm doing. Nothing. Um, and, you know, sort of rookie director of ticket sales and, um, you know, Jill trying to figure out the big, great businessman, but trying to figure out the hockey business. And so we were, we, we did have a, uh, one guy that had been in the business for quite a while, but he was strictly corporate. So, you know, the promotional side was difficult and we, we had to try a lot of different things to try to figure out. We, we did, and I think that the new ECH, ECHL team just tried this as well. But we did a; uh, they have the Florida Georgia game in in, uh, in Jacksonville every year, in University of Florida in Georgia, and the world's largest cocktail party. So we had the great, amazing concept that we were going to wear Florida colors, and we were going to play the Columbus uh, Cotton Mouths who from Georgia, and they were going to wear the the, the Georgia Bulldog colors, and we we're going to have this great game. You know, two days before the the. Uh, the the big uh, Florida Georgia game. There's people camping out there. There's thousands of people in the area, and uh, it's going to be a no brainer, and people are going to love it. And why wouldn't they? Because it's right there. Literally, or the arena is right there beside the stadium. Everyone's camped out around there. The no brainer is going to work 100. percent And it com- was a complete flop because we didn't understand that they don't want to do anything. They're drunk. <laughs> they're they're sitting in their in their chairs. They've been doing the same thing for ten fifteen years, and they don't want to change it. And they know they don't want to walk into a hockey arena and watch hockey. It's cold in there. They don't want it to, in their mind. So we did a, made a ton of mistakes like that, where we just tried everything that we possibly could to get to get word out and get interest. And and you know, one out of ten would work, and that one out of ten would would be awesome. And you feel bad about the other nine, and but you keep pushing forward and. Um, it's a pretty cool experience because it was such a unique, unique market. Yeah. <clears throat> Part of your role there was uh, was media relations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so how, how do you how do you find that job has has changed since your time and since getting kind of started in that? Um, yeah. In that role. Um, pretty dramatically at the time, you know, I, you know, I got the role because the guy that was handling the media. Unfortunately, a week into my internship, my unpaid internship passed away, um, which was pretty intense. And he was he was an older fellow, retired, and did it part time. Um, and that's how I got into the room. Was you know we were all very sad, and I didn't I didn't particularly know him very well at that point. I just got to town, but I I met his son a couple times, played hockey with him, and that sort of thing. So um, everyone always was very sad. And then Jill, being a bit of a realist, or piping up and be like. We could. We're all sad, but who's going to send the press releases? <laughs> and that was that was really honestly that was really the job at that point was, you know, sending out the press releases was the biggest thing. Just who's going to write and send the press release? Um, now it progressed. I got I quickly you know formed relationships with some of the key you know sports guys in in the market. Jacksonville is a tricky one um, when it comes to sports media because it's an NFL city. Uh, so the guys have their sights set on things far higher than the 
SBHL. If I came in as an NHL guy, media guy, they'd, they'd pay attention. But uh, so there's a little bit of a challenge there. But um, the big thing I was able to do is just form really good relationships with the guys that were open to it. And and I didn't know I was doing it. They were from one guy was Canadian, another guy's from North. They were super happy that there was hockey there. I was super happy to talk about hockey because I didn't know anybody in, in Jacksonville, and I just naturally was forming these relationships and doing doing the job as it is now. That you know, without thinking about it, without even thinking that I was working. Now those re- relationships are so much more important, and um, you know things are moving. the 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 flow of information is so fast, and you don't have time to write a press release, or you better have it ready and send it out. Like it, it's just it, people are looking for bite-sized information clips. Like you really have to move quickly. You have to have those relationships in place to allow you to get that information out and moving and, and, and have them receptive um, to what you're putting out there. So it, it, it's, it's changed pretty dramatically. The positive is it's just so much easier to get things out to people now and to get people to see them. The negative is it's that much easier. So there's that much stuff. So how do you make your content stand out? Um, you know, if you're the NHL team in the market and if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, a lot easier than if you're the Brampton Bees. So, um, you know, you have to be, you really have to cultivate relationships and cultivate your content now way more so than before. Yeah. So, you know, the jobs changed a fair bit on the, on the team side, um, Mm -hmm. you know, over the years, but, um, you know, we were talking just before uh, we started recording here, just about, you know, the changing, just the media landscape. Yeah. Yeah. You know, reports this week, you know, ESPN is going to do another round of layoffs, which, you know, they've already done uh, at least one this year. And then, uh, more locally, Bell Media, um, announcing some layoffs as well, particularly in some, some notable sports anchors. And, um, what do you think that just the shift of, of just the media thing in, in uh, side in general and, and mm-hmm. how is that going to impact, uh, the day-to-day jobs of, you know, people working in media relations for teams and things like that? Yeah. Well, everything's, <laughs> everything's getting streamlined and that's for sure. And, 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 you know, the days of having bloated companies that are managing, have tons of reporters who are looking for stories at all times you know that's gone by the wayside. You know it's a t- it's it's a, in one hand, yeah, it's tough to see really good people get laid off and and, and be in tough situations. It, we've seen it all over the place and here in the GTA with you know cuts at the newspapers as well and dramatic cuts. You know, um, you know, seeing Lance Brown get laid off uh, from CTV, you know, last week or two weeks ago is tough for us because you know we lean on Lance a lot and we have that relationship with him so those relationships going away um, it's tough we're in a transition period though and um, it's been a long time coming you know I big picture you know I've been a cord cutter I was a cord cutter probably about 10 years ago is when we first got rid of cable which was pretty unique at the time not many people were even thought of doing that but you know we had the internet and, and I was able to get hockey games on on various CD websites so uh, you know we made the decision to cut the cord a long time ago um, the opportunity for the positive of this there's lots of fear about you know it's all being you know whittled away and there's not going to be any local news coverage in the in the days of you know these guys being able to take their time and make really good local content or at the ESPN level, be able to do these long form documentary, really do some real reporting on, on news. Um, that's a re- that's a real thing. Like that is, that is being tweaked that whole situation. But I think there's a real opportunity in it. 
Um, you know, so take a guy like Lance Brown. I know that from his newscast last night, he looks like he's going to retire. A guy like him or any of these guys that are getting laid off from these large corporations now have the opportunity. They have the training. They're already trained on camera. They can speak. They can they can communicate effectively. They know how to look. They know how to look the part. They know how to investigate and report. Now they are able to do that for themselves, and they have the freedom. Now the money, obviously, whatever, might not be there at first, but they have the opportunity to become to use that platform now for themselves and, and become what they've always wanted to be and follow the stories that they've always wanted to follow. There's a huge opportunity here in the market for people that are um, have the confidence just to go out and document what's happening and then and and just telling people about it and just constantly informing people what you're going to find is that you know no it's it might not be ESPN that's doing all the reporting anymore but it's going to be barstool sports it's going to be um any number of the other websites that are coming to mind Lance Brown could go to one of the you know local Toronto blogs and produce really in, incredible content that will get a higher viewership than if he had, you know, had his uh, newscast the, every single night like he's had for a number of years. This is the shift that we're seeing, I believe, is that we're going towards where it's going to be highly specialized, high, high quality, because it, it's going to be just based entirely on people willing to be able to consume it, um, as opposed to be people being locked in and just sort of brainlessly flipping channels and saying, well, I guess I'll watch this right now. People are getting more and more choices, but it's just going to be in different different format than we're used to. It's up to the industry to really shift with it and try to figure out what, what, what these models look like and support it rather than sort of fight it. Yeah, there's definitely some some feeling out process. Like we have like new, um, you know, The Athletic is mm-hmm. a new kind of startup uh, sports media uh, company and, and they're, you know, pay to uh, subscription. Yep. Yep. Um, Absolutely. haven't really seen that much of from an online website, mm-hmm. um, but then there's lots that are just you know, your traditional yep. put out really good content and try to have it advertiser supported. Yep. Um, I, I mean, I see a lot of similarities between the media uh, industry and in sports in the sense that, it, you know, in just live events and things like that, that it's the, the demand is much more for specialized, mm-hmm. uh, unique experiences as opposed yep. to, you know, like you were saying, you know, in Winnipeg, you know, people go to the, you know, back in the day, you know, people go to the rink to watch the game because mm-hmm. that's what you did. But now, you know, we're seeing uh, you know, industry wide, less season tickets, mm-hmm. more group sales, more, uh, smaller ticket plans, things like that. So oh, yep. it seems like people are just, you know, looking for something really specialized, really unique yep. um, and more of that as opposed to doing kind of the same thing yep. uh, over and over. But yeah. Um, so, so after, so Jacksonville, um, mm-hmm. so your next stop was, was Augusta. Yeah. Uh, Augusta another Florida. great, another huge, huge hockey market, big back, big <laughs> hockey background. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how did how did that opportunity come about? That was uh, that was a new startup team uh, yep. as well. Wasn't that it? was yeah. another startup team in the SPHL. Um, so, Jill and I, by that point, after four or five years in, in Jacksonville, and I had left the industry. I thought I was going to um, go into corporate America and make it big. And I, had, by that point, I had all my work permits, and I was getting ready to get married to my to my wife Anna. And um, so, I thought I had everything figured out, and I was going to. You know, move on from the low-paying minor league hockey jobs and career to uh, to huge success in corporate America, and that was uh, time to write when the market crashed, <laughs> the housing market crashed in the states, and Jacksonville, Florida, was sort of the epicenter of a lot of it, and um, so that sort of crushed a lot of those ideas. I it took two years, and I, I realized in those two years, being out of the 
industry that I really, really loved being in sports. And, and that was enough of a wake up call for, to motivate me to get back into it. Uh, and then it's just, it's, it's opportunity. So Jill got, Jill got the opportunity to go to, uh, start this team in Augusta and, uh, I just asked the support of relationships too. He asked if I'd be interested in joining him. Didn't think I would be. And of course, heck yeah, I was. So, um, ended up going there uh, initially as the assistant GM, uh, of what would be named the Augusta River Hawks and starting a, a, a new SBHL team there. So really it was the, it was the relationship with Jill and, and having that in place and then just being open, being, being open to move, ready to move. Um, you know, we, we were in Jacksonville for, I guess it was about seven years at that point. Um, you know, I was ready to try something new. I don't know if I was ready for Augusta, Georgia, and <laughs> new, but uh, but it was a really cool opportunity, and uh, and so yeah, that's that's how it ha- you know sort of come, and, and that's what I'd say to a lot of people starting out is is once you get in, you, you build trust and you build relationships like that. That's when the opportunities start to flow. They don't just come naturally. So yeah, were, were you familiar with Augusta at all before? I mean, I was familiar with the Masters. I mean, I knew yeah. knew about the Masters, and I hadn't been to Augusta prior. Um, I knew some folks that go there for the masters. I, I had no concept of what the city was, was aside from that, not in zero. Um, it was, it was pretty, it was a pretty interesting experience. And then even making the move up there, I went up, uh, my wife was in, uh, Anna was in uh, a school, uh, dental hygiene school. She had a lot of stuff that she had to complete. So I actually went up, Jill and I went up three months before she came up. Uh, so we were living out of a hotel and, and, uh, just, being out every night, sort of networking and, and getting to know the, so it was a really kind of a cool in, introduction to Augusta because I got to know know a lot of people and there was surprisingly a really strong, tight knit hockey community there that um, they had been abandoned by the by the Augusta Lynx prior, um, who, was, who was an ECHL team that actually folded they were there for about five six years and folded mid season, which left quite the crater in the market, but. Yeah. Uh, uh, really strong local little little hockey community, recreational hockey, youth hockey, that sort of thing. So, um, I think you know, I never never want to say I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for saying this. I wouldn't say it was a positive that you know Anna wasn't with me and that I was on my own up there, um, but the positive was that it you know it forced me to get out and get to know people and really sort of get to know the the the, the city and all the the ins and the outs and and do that late night marketing or networking that. Uh, that uh, result in some tough mornings in the office, but uh, you know that, that's how the uh, the opportunity sort of formed itself. Yeah. What would you say? What did you find were the biggest differences between Jacksonville and Augusta? Uh, for one, nowhere near as many uh, transplants from the north. Um, so, so you were dealing with, you know, hockey, the hockey fans were were built by the links, and and uh, you know there were a few, but the, the core you really had to speak to the to the community. Um, Augusta is a much smaller town than the Jacksonville. Just population size wasn't near as high. Uh, the opportunity from the from the population standpoint wasn't wasn't as dramatic. Um, and Augusta is a truly Jacksonville, although it's in the south, it can. You know, sort of considered north, north, uh, sort of south Florida, or sorry, south Georgia, almost because it's right near the border. Um, it's not; you wouldn't consider it a southern town. Augusta was the real, true southern town that, um, and it it comes with sort of the cliches of having to build relationships and organically, and having to build people's trust, and um, you really had to learn learn the market and learn how learn the people and get to know them um, before they would even consider doing any business. And business was slow, like to do business, to do deals, to have conversations. It was a very slow process where there's a lot of trust building and 
um, you know, there was no snap decisions. It was all it was all just the slow burn of a of a southern business relationship, and it was all brand new to me. Um, my I think my personality sort of lent itself to that because I, I I enjoyed building those relationships, but it, it definitely was a was a very different uh, different place in Jacksonville. Uh, so, so your next stop was uh, was here. Yeah, it was uh, GTA Brampton, mm-hmm. um, another startup team. Yeah, yeah that's um, a trend. Yeah. Uh, so, so what um, what would you say motivated you to to make the move up to uh, to Brampton and, and join another startup? Couple uh, another team. A couple reasons. One, the ice broke. <laughs> the ice plant broke in Augusta. So, uh, right uh, towards the end of our last season. Um, Solidly in the second, I would say around February, um, uh, my good friend uh, Josh Small, who was the director of operations at the James Brown Arena in downtown Augusta, Georgia, um, called me up and said, uh, I've got a big problem. And uh, that wasn't rare. <laughs> That's a pretty common call I received from him, but uh, this one's really serious. The uh, the ice plant, the pipes underneath the ice have bursted, and we're trying to figure out what the, what the damage is, but there's no ice for... Saturday's game, so we had to figure it out. So, um, sure enough, it was a few hundred thousand dollar fix, and 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 it's city owned facility, and no one's willing to put that bill right up front. So, we ended up having to finish our season in the uh, in the practice rink, which I was doing the broadcast of the of the games at the time. So that meant me climbing to, you know, uh, I don't even know what you would call it, but the roof of a of a small room beside the rink. And doing the broadcast up this like crazy tall ladder that frightened me to bits every time I crawled up there and doing it from a really curious uh, position. And um, I'll actually show you a picture of uh, myself up there, but it was, it was quite the situation. But um, so that was one of one one of the things. So that was going to be the end of the of the Riverhawks. We we were ready actually to. Um, the understanding was we were going to sign a, a new three year lease, and actually things were going very well on the business side. Um, it's one of the misconceptions. Actually, things were, were progressing and improving, and, and we were getting close to break even, which was pretty remarkable feat there. Um, so the intention was to move forward, but then with the ice plant, uh, there's no available arena. It makes it very tough to move forward. So that that sir told me the reading was on the wall there. Um, some personal things. My, my mom lived in uh, London, Ontario at the time, um, and you know, her health wasn't the best. And my wife and I had started already speaking about potentially making a move up, up this way. I think it was our intention uh, always to move to, to Canada at some point. So this seemed like it was uh, starting to get to be the time. So we were, we were considering that already. And it was a funny thing. I actually, um, my mom had, uh, you know, an episode or, uh, health, health scare and, and it really sort of, you know, got us to think about making a move. So, um, I actually sat down and, and made a spreadsheet and ranked, uh, all the sort of all the cities in North America and ranked ranked them on five different uh, five different uh, areas of you know location and opportunity and all these you know sort of did this whole calculation on where I think it was fifteen sixty different markets and, uh, and the top five or six were all were all GTA based so um, sort of told me where where the hopefully where I would end up but then I didn't realize in the very next day. Gary Kaplan called me and, and uh, we had met a, um, he, he had been in Augusta training us for uh, about four or five months prior and uh, just called me out of the blue and said if, uh, you know, see if I'd be interested in potentially coming to 
Brampton, Ontario. I was like, well, if it has an Ontario in the, if it's anywhere in Ontario, I'm probably pretty interested. So um, that was sort of the impetus of of making the move there. A little bit, a little bit family, a little bit opportunity, a little bit uh, different things. Different little getting out of a city with had no ice <laughs> and then sort of moving on. So um, it all sort of came together. And it's funny how things uh, how things happen. Yeah. Had you ever lived in the GTA before taking the job with the Beast? No, um, I have family here, so my family would make a. A road trip from Winnipeg every second year. Um, love Toronto. Uh, always saw Winnipeg. You go either go one way. Or people usually hate Toronto just because there's no real real reason behind that. It's just sort of a big brother, little brother thing. Everyone's sort of in Canada's somewhat jealous of of the attention that Toronto gets. And now having lived here, I understand why it gets all the attention it does. But uh, um, I always lean towards Toronto, so I always loved Toronto. Loved coming to, you know, remember going to Exhibition Stadium for for a Jays game. I remember uh, one of the first seasons of the Raptors going to the Raptors game with my family. Going to uh, uh, w- one of the first seasons of the of the Sky Dome op- opening up and and just taking that in and being part of that experience. So that um, you know, I always been in love with the city, and and so it was a. Uh, um, once I figured out where Brampton was exactly in the whole sc- scope of the GTA, it was pretty, pretty exciting, pretty exciting concept. Yeah. So now Beast now in their in their fifth season. Yep. Um, and you, you've been there since since day one. Yep. Yep. Before day one. Before day one. Yeah. <laughs> um, what would you say, what, like? What are some of your your favorite moments from first five seasons? Oh, uh, there's been there's been a lot of great moments. Um, you know, there's the selfish ones. There's the getting to meet Don Cherry, getting to meet the other day, getting to meet Paul Coffey. There's uh, being in the GTA sort of allows you to some pretty cool experiences and access to some pretty cool people. So getting to go to, uh, I remember then, I think it was the first season, you actually might remember, I think you might have been there, I'm not sure, but they were announcing the uh, the uh, the roster for Team Canada at MasterCard Center down yeah, in Etobicoke. Yeah. And uh, uh, we... So I'll serve, did put together a cavalry and went down there and got to go watch it firsthand. And just, just being in a GTA gives you all these types of really cool, cool opportunities. Um, you know, really it comes down to the people Like, there's been moments, you know, that have been really the first, I'd say the first school, school day game was really, really cool. Um, you know, I was aware of the concept of school games because teams in the States were doing them and other teams in the SPHL were doing them. We were thinking about it, but it's a lot of work, but the way we have to be set up um, with all the the resources from, from an internship program to Cosmo Sports to, to lots of hands. So we were able to pull that off and that was really cool because that was the first time we ever saw, you know, the Powerade Center even close to full. Um, so that was pretty exciting. That first year was fun from a hockey perspective. Uh, I had a relationship with uh, with our head coach, Mark DeSantis, uh, from the SPHL. Um, so it was cool for, for him, for me and him to be here together. Um you know, the relationships that were sort of built off that first year, it was really, really hard um, from a business perspective. It was a, a way bigger challenge than I think any of us realized going into it. Um, so the so the small, the relatively small victories were, were big, and, and, the, and the team being good and us making the playoffs meant a lot. Um, so it's tough to pinpoint, you know, specific things that, that really stand out. I think partially because it's still very fresh too. We're still in it, and it's still... Uh, I think five years after, you know, whenever the end is uh, for my time in Brampton, whether that comes or not, uh, I'll have a bit better perspective on it. But um, it really comes down right now. 
it being this fresh, it comes down to the relationships and the people. And, you know, we've had some amazing, amazing people come through the doors and some of them still with us. And um, I think that's right now, that's why I take more than anything. Yeah. From, from an outside perspective, I mean, you'd look at the, the beast and um, you'd, you'd see it in a very crowded sports market, uh, oh, major yeah. league town with the NBA, Crazy. NHL, yep. MLB, CFL. Really, really unique. Yeah. Uh, just everything here and in, in within a kind of an hour's drive, I guess. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's insane. It really, it really is frustrating to tell you the truth. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So, what what are some of the things you think that the the Beast have done that you know can start to carve out a bit of a niche for for a team like the Beast? And you know, minor league hockey. Um, you know, as we kind of at least I kind of found from you know my time working with the with the Beast is you know Canadians really weren't as familiar with this level of minor league hockey. Not at all. Yeah. Um, everybody you know is very familiar with the NHL and the OHL. Yeah. Uh, but there's this whole middle ground that seems to be kind of foreign to, to Canadians, which is weird being yep. you know such a hockey crazy country. Yeah, but. well, some of those calls that we had early on with people and and you know we, we were calling hockey teams and, and calling coaches and those kind of some of those conversations were just insane. You know, like you, you're dead. and 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 I had have spent so much time in the states. I was very well aware of the ECHL. Well, actually, we were in the Central Hockey League originally, but I was aware of the Central Hockey League and the ECHL, and I understood the landscape because our players kept getting called up and. Um, you just I, I I got it. I was I've been a hockey lifer my my whole life. I love the business. I love you know sort of you know I had a real good knowledge of of the the landscape um, for whatever reason. Always read the hockey news religiously. Saw the standings for the ECHL and all the different leagues, and I loved looking at the different cities. So I had a pretty clear concept, and I just thought that that's how hockey fans were that that everyone sort of understand that you know. The NHL and the AHL and the, and the ECHL and the SBHL, it's all pro leagues. And, you know, that's where players graduate to after junior hockey. And then coming here where the OHL has such a strong hold on the, I wouldn't say strong hold on the market because the OHL teams are having their own issues in this market. But um, the brand is so strong here that the conversations I was having with these folks that were very knowledgeable hockey people saying, oh, it's, you know, it's too bad it's not OHL hockey because that'd be much better. Or you know, thinking that an OHL team would lose to a to an ECHL or a Central Hockey League team. When in the back of her head, I'm thinking this is insane. Like this is like the top 10, 15 percent of OHL players get to play in this league. It's yeah. it was really really uh, unique. So that challenge that that it was a way bigger educational challenge than I ever thought. And my experience in the South in non hockey markets really helped i think me quickly reposition this as from i'm going to a hockey mad market where we're just going to have to sell tickets uh and and people are going to eat it up to man people have no idea what this level of hockey even means we're going to have to sell something else and sell, and also inform them of what this hockey is and do them at the same time and do them really fast because we're not going to be here very long if we don't. And that's and this is way more similar to a Jacksonville or Augusta than I ever dreamed it would be. And that that was a quick realization. It didn't take long. A um, couple phone calls. We One of the first things we did as a team to sort of announce our presence was we handed out hot chocolates outside of the uh, – outside of the Powerage Center because the Brampton Battalion wouldn't allow us into the building to, uh, to hand out promotional materials. So we, we uh, handed out hot chocolates and had those uh, conversations and it was quickly apparent that this was going to be a massive job. Yeah. So um, 
so you know you've had stops now in uh, with minor league teams in uh, in your hometown of Winnipeg, yeah. Jacksonville, Augusta, yeah. now Brampton. Um, where do you, where do you see minor league sports going? Um, where, and you know hockey specifically, but just minor yeah. league sports in, in general. Yeah, it's um, it's a good question. You know, I think the advantage that minor league sports has over major league sports is that it's hyper local. Now that doesn't say that Toronto Maple Leafs aren't local; they are. But it's the ability to really recognize trends and recognize things that matter to to a very very local uh, group of people, and then respond to it. So, different things that we've done, you know, that just sort of fun PR type things, or things that you know minor league teams are really uniquely positioned to take advantage of. You know, I'm thinking about. Um, and I think it was the first year, and Toronto Maple Leafs were in a different situation than they are right now. With the, uh, you know, they were pretty brutal, and they were losing a lot of games. And people started throwing their jerseys onto the ice, and the Leafs told them not to, and they were going to kick out anybody that did, and uh, really create this real toxic, you know, grumpy atmosphere and and, and feel around uh, around the Toronto sports market. And, and we responded by having a toss your jersey night and, and encouraging fans to toss jersey on the ice and then partnering up with a local charity to make sure those jerseys and combining with a full equipment uh, sort of uh, donation program and creating something really positive and fun out of a out of a tough situation and that's just something those type of things are you, you can't really do that at the major league level now some basketball teams and NBA teams are really really good at that type of thing um, but on 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 a whole you know, minor league teams are able to do stuff like that, you know, having a dancing goalie come out and, you know, do different things and just really respond to the local market. So I think, you know, it's sort of in line with, as you said, like it's not that different than the media market as a whole. You know, people are going to demand, are demanding better quality content, better quality media, better quality, uh, more relevant um, uh, content to their own lives and, and, and entertainment to their own, to themselves and their so much more choosy and I think minor league sports teams are uniquely positioned to be able to provide more specific you know entertainment and fun for specific people's needs and be able to provide it a number of different levels on, on, on a single night or in a single game and that's that's the exciting thing I think minor league that's why I really enjoy being in the minors because we don't have restrictions. Gary Bevin's not telling us that we can't do different things. The ECHL as a league is awesome and they provide great, great guidance and, and leadership and, and they sort of let us do our thing and understand the importance of us being fun and that sort of thing. So, you know, I, I just feel like minor league hockey teams have, they have that ability to just respond to, to things so fast and just be part of that sort of growing culture of providing really fun, really entertaining, really rich and specific content for people. Yeah. Great. Um, so just to wrap up here, got a couple more uh, kind of rapid fire questions yeah, for you. Yeah, for sure. Um, so if you, if you weren't in sports, what do you think you'd be doing? Oh, man. Um, let me think about that for a sec because it hasn't actually crossed my mind for quite a while, I'm sure. Um, the easy answer is that I'd be working for some – agency or something something along those or for a company in their marketing department and doing doing stuff along those lines i don't really believe that to be case though i think um what i've discovered in the last few years is that i do have a bit of an entrepreneurial edge to me and a little bit of a bend that way and and what i experienced actually working in corporate america for two years uh, so i really hated it like i really hated that that sort of uh um that sort of environment and so uh 
I, I think I'd be working for a small business or I'd be have or have find a way to have a small business and, and be some, doing something along those lines. That'd be my, my guess. Yeah. Uh, so you and I are both uh, listeners of, of Tim Ferriss. Sure. Um, yep. One of his favorite topics is uh, morning routines. Yep. Um, so do you have a regular morning routine that you stick to? Uh, I get I get uh, dragged out of bed by my two year old son Elliot, or get pushed back into the bed, and depending on how he's feeling about me that morning, yeah. um, and I chase him around for a little bit. Uh, I've uh, it's been a weakness of mine for the last uh, six months or so. I had a really really great morning routine going um, when Elliot was younger. Um, and I could strap him to me, and uh, we would, I uh, would get up, and I would uh, get up before he got up. I got up before anybody else, and um, I wasn't meditating at that time, but I was doing some reading, and I, I'd get some reading in, and I'd get a get a quick shower, and then I would, uh, uh, me and I would strap him to me and go for a, uh, a really long hour long walk. Um, we had a great neighborhood to walk in, and just just doing that, and just walking by the water, and and. Uh, I found that, and, and he wasn't saying anything at that time, and he was probably sleeping during most of the walks. So it was a really great time for me to just clear my head and focus on, uh, you know, the things that I needed to focus on at that time. And I found, so I, through that walk and with a, you know, something strapped to you, it was almost like getting a workout in, getting, you know, some sort of meditative or some clearing of the of the mind and, and doing it all in one fell swoop over the course of that hour walk. So that was really, that was sort of at my best and, and uh you know, now it takes, and now it's a lot more challenging with the little guy and, and, and having to make sure I get him to, uh, to, uh, his daycare and, and make sure everything's in place. So I find that my routine now starts more when I get to the office and fortunate to have an office that's separate from the main office. And so I can shut the door and, and that's where I've been doing different, uh, you know, meditation apps and, and, uh, just getting that sort of clear start, um, has really helped. And then my, you know, you know, physio has me doing some foam rolling and doing different stuff in the office. So I try to get all that stuff out of the way and take care of myself first and, and then move on to the rest of the day. But, uh, you know, if morning routines are, are pretty, pretty powerful if you can, if you can get into them, but it's tough to stick to sometimes when there's some outside forces <laughs> making it difficult. Yeah. I can imagine having, uh, having a young kid around would, uh, would certainly, Make things a little bit more, more yeah and it's still it's still on me like i don't have to get up at 6 15 i could get up at 5 15 i could get up at 6 i could get up at, i could get up earlier if i if i if i really put my head to it so that's that's my challenge that's where and i think a lot of listeners will sort of resonate with that is that you know, there's always things we can do you know there's always things we can change i, I can get up an hour before him and make sure i get you know all the stuff that tim ferris suggests and journal <laughs> journaling and doing the whole thing if i really want to do it i i should be able to find a way so um, but that's my challenge. Uh, any recent books you've uh, read or, or listened to that you'd, that you'd recommend? Yeah, so on so uh, interesting. I just finished uh, listening to the audio. Audio books have been really helpful for me lately. Um, so just listened to uh, uh, Ferris's uh, Four Hour Work Week. Um, listened to uh, one of Tony Tony Rye. Actually, his he has an audio sort of set from years ago. Um, and I don't remember the name of it, but listen to his, a couple of his books, uh, audio books, which is just really, really powerful. And I, I don't think, uh, I've only been got, gotten into him in the last two years and started consuming his stuff and, um, just in, incredibly powerful, powerful man. I always thought he was just the infomercial guy and kind of cheesy and yeah. kind of <laughs> SNL skit <laughs> type thing. And, um, I've gotten more out of him, uh, in the last year or so than, than anything, um, 
And also, it's funny reading. Uh, not to get too graphic, but at the one place I will read is I've stopped taking my phone to the washroom, um, and so I make sure I have a book in there uh, to to sort of fill, occupy my brain during those because we we are absolutely. It's amazing how we can't just sit and just be. We we have to have something going, and these phones have made us into some some crazy different life form than what we used to. I think because we just need entertainment at all times. So I uh, just finished uh, again going through Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, just because I I feel like initially when I read it, I was uh, it was probably about four years ago, five years ago, and I was really the first half of it was really impactful for me, and I didn't really get a whole lot out of the, uh, the latter half because it's more the interdependence and the working with other people and now in the position I'm in now and, and having a little bit more maturity and that sort of thing, I find the whole thing just really impactful. So yeah, I, those have been it lately, not 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 a lot of fiction. I, I would like to get sort of into more fiction again, but that's, uh, again, blame it on the boy. Blame it on the two-year-old. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so you're a, um, obviously a big hockey fan. You've spent your career working in, yeah. in, uh, in hockey and um. So, uh, if you took the movie Space Jam and you yeah. made it uh, about hockey, so the aliens land the challenges to a game of hockey. Who uh, who would be your uh, your starting lineup? Oh man, aliens are they, are they especially good aliens or what are they? Is this, uh... well, they, they probably steal the uh, the spirit of uh, some <laughs> <laughs> exactly because they got up to a huge score, right? They and then Jordan had to bring bring the humans back. I yeah. think that's it. It's been a long time since I watched Space Jam, but um, it has to be present present day players, or you can be historical, or what? Uh, anybody? Okay, let's see. Let's go. Uh, I have to go with my. This is sort of the dream lineup. So um, I'm going to definitely going to have Wayne Gretzky at center, um, sort of the Michael Jordan of hockey, and worked out pretty well there. Uh, my favorite uh, guy, my favorite, my sort of one. He's one A for me. One, my one B is Tamo Solani. Uh, Winnipeg, Winnipeg kids. So, uh, Tame was definitely on there. I don't know if they necessarily worked that well together because Tame was such a speed guy and, and, and Wayne definitely not. Uh, Wayne had Yari Curry on his wing and also finished, but uh, Yari was never the fleetest of foot either. So, I think they, there's a bit of a speed thing there, but I'm still going to put them together and add a little bit of uh, uh, spice to that line. I'm going to toss uh, Eric Lindros and on, on, on the wing. He didn't play a lot of wing, but I'm going to put Lindros. I was always a huge. Eric Lindros guy, uh, despite the uh, now I think proven misconception of him being a troublemaker, and I think it's actually not to get on a tangent here, but if you look at the battles that Lindros had, and and, and someone he was the true, unfortunately took a lot of bullets for for the guys coming up now because of the work that all the the policies for concussions and for uh, sort of attention on the team medical staff and the and a lot of the freedoms that the players have they're enjoying because Lindros got. Be beaten down for for all of his opinions and everything else. So big Lindros guy. So I'm going to put him on 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 the wing. Uh, on D, we're going to have. Uh, let's go with uh, the man I met the other day. Actually, I had a good good fortune to meet Paul Coffey, and he was always uh, the big fan of the '80s Oilers when I was just a little guy, three four years old. So I I'll go with Paul Coffey on uh, on D, and uh, alongside of him is a tough one. I think you got to go with somebody pretty. Pretty responsible. Um, trying to trying to come up with the right guy. We'll go with uh, we'll go. We'll make all the Toronto hockey people really pleased by picking Randy Carlyle. <laughs> it's a great. He was a great, great defensive defenseman. Was a Norris Trophy winner in his day. Played a number of years with the Winnipeg Jets. My mom's uh, one of my mom's favorite favorite players. I, coincidentally, I'm a way bigger 
fan of his coaching abilities than his uh, – I was never a huge Randy Carlyle player uh, fan. Um, I think only because I didn't like the way he looked without his helmet and balding head. And When you're a kid, it's sort of tough sometimes to really figure out. He always seemed to look a little bit older than his age and – and I just didn't, didn't didn't quite get it. But my mom was a big fan, so I have to put him on D. And then in net, uh, in net, we'll go with Bob Bassenza. Not because I think he's going to win a ton of games, but I loved him with the Jets. And um, you know, he, he always I thought he was an under underrated uh, underrated goalie. So we'll we'll go with the Bob Bassenza uh, in goal. Um, so up until last year, uh, Chicago baseball fans were waiting over a hundred years for another uh, oh, yeah. World Series. So what, what's that sports moment that you're you're waiting for what's what would you really like to see happen i'm waiting for now so i'm a ducks i'm a anaheim ducks fan i don't think we ever mentioned that and it's an odd one but i mentioned this line is one of my favorite players and um so when the jets left winnipeg i had to i had to take on the uh, a different team i didn't want to cheer for the phoenix then phoenix coyotes so i end up picking the picking the ducks because of tamo and um you know, so that was a huge moment that already happened when the Ducks won uh, in '07, winning that cup and, and getting to see Slani lift it, and 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 uh, that I remember I was in Jacksonville at the time. That was a massive moment for me, um, only me because I think the Ducks have the worst fan following of any team uh, as far as t- fans outside of their their home market. I don't think I've ever run into another <laughs> Ducks fan just randomly. So uh, that was one that I sort of celebrated on my own. Um, as far as that, uh, you know, looking forward, you know, I've I, uh, been fortunate. You know, I've always been a huge, you know, Team Canada fan in, in, in the Hall of Hockey, uh, any any Olympic competition. So seeing them, remember the tension surrounding uh, leading up to the one Olympics after they lost on a couple of occasions with the pros and then they finally came through. That was a massive, massive moment as well. I think really, you know, I and it's funny, I still consider myself a Ducks fan first, Um you know, and and Winnipeg has a team now again, the Jets, and I I do cheer for them, but it's it's so it's tough because they've been poor <laughs> up until this season, um, and and sort of I still old habits are hard to kill, and I lean towards the Ducks, but it would mean a lot to see the Jets go on a real good run, uh, just also because the, the they never were able to get all you know over the hump in Winnipeg the, the first time around the. In the '80s, they always ran into the old, uh, into the Oilers or the Flames, who were superpowers and um, playing in the same division. They never really got the attention they deserved for being such a good team as well. Um, and then, you know, in the, in the Solana years, they were always uh, good offensively, but could, never could put it uh, the full package together. So, you know, I think I'm trying to think. I don't, I don't even know if they've ever made it out of the first round. If they did, they made it one round. Um, they definitely in the eighties. They definitely make it out of the first round. But um, just having some long, long playoff run would be awesome to see in Winnipeg and see them win a cup would be phenomenal. Um, you know, as a more recent resident of the of you know Toronto and, and GTA, I, you know, I'm a huge Blue Jays fan. I've always been a Blue Jays fan. Ninety two and ninety like the two World Series was major thing, but to it would be a massive thing for. Um, their playoff runs recently were so awesome that uh, seeing the Jays come come through, and I, I don't know if we're going to see it now for a while, but hopefully they can pull it together next season and make one more run with this group. That would be to win a World Series and, and to potentially be in the building or be near the building when it happens. That would be that would be tough to forget. Yeah. Uh, if you could change one thing about hockey to improve the game, what would it be? 
Holy moly, that's a tough one. Um, one thing. <laughs> it's funny. Like, there's a number of things that come to mind that I that I would never ten years ago would would have never said. So, um, you know, I've become not at all a fan of fighting, uh, and I used to be a huge fan of fighting. I just find myself now. I just haven't seen the damage that it causes. I just, I guess, get a little queasy about it more so than I ever did. But I don't think that's really the thing that I'd, I'd change. Uh, I'll, I'll say this: I, I, and the refs have the toughest job in the world, and, and I, I, very, very careful not to criticize them every time I'm on broadcast of a beast game or anything else like that. I would say, hockey does seem to be the sport where the rule book goes out the window the, the fastest. I love physical play. I love tough, hard hockey. I'm from Winnipeg. I don't. I grew up in playing hockey in Winnipeg. You don't. You don't get out through Winnipeg without having a bit of an edge to you. And the winters are tough, and <laughs> you got to have some grit. Um, however, I find that especially in the NHL, that the best players still can't be the best players. And anytime there's a rule, they start to enforce the rules. Like this year with the the slashes to the hands and the slashes period. Um, there's a big outcry that there's too many penalty calls and, you know, they, they cracked on obstruction and then it comes back and I don't know what the trick is and I don't know what the fix is, but just some way that you can really allow the best players in hockey to be the best players, not have to fight through a million slashes to get to the net and that, that mentality of, of, of sort of letting things go or balancing the play out, it, there's something holding back the NHL and holding hockey back from being as good as it can be because the the skill level and the speed that these guys are playing with are off the charts and and goaltenders are great and they're big they got loads of pads they get it but the best players the Connor McDavid's the Sidney Crosby's the you know Austin Matthews are still well under 100 points to, you know it look like they're going to be under 100 points again this year and it just doesn't make any sense that the best play if you look at the NBA the best players are the best players, and they're best players pretty much every single night. Whereas in hockey, you do find where, you know, Connor McDavid's great, but, you know, Mark Letestu might be the best player on a given night, and it just seems crazy to me. So if there's, I think it comes back to, the, you know, whether it's the penalty calling or if it's overly defensive coaching by, by coaches. If, you know, it's t- stuff that's really tough to mandate out, but there's just got to be some way where, where where in hockey the best players can, can prove to be the best players and. Yeah, I don't have the fix there, but that's what I would like to see. Some some sort of magic dust being sprinkled over the sport to to magically allow these guys to to, to do what they, they do best. I think and I grew up in the eighties, so we saw much more so, you know, Wayne Gretzky Marlon Lemieux be able to do these incredible, incredible things and do things that no one ever, you know, thought possible. And 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 I believe that the skill of the players now, they they, they are able to do that. They are capable. Um, but, you know, whether it's the coaching or the penalties, like it's just not being not being allowed to come come through, so that's that would be my hope. Great. Well, Ken, thanks thanks yeah. very much for taking up uh, some time for uh, for the podcast. Today. My pleasure, anytime. Just down the street, so yeah. happy to happy to jump on. Hopefully, there's a number more of these, and uh, you know, I love it. So yeah. well, great. Well, thanks a lot. Special thanks to Ken for taking time out to join me on the podcast. Hopefully, we can convince him to come back and join us again. Let us know what you think, anything you agree with, disagree with. You can email us at info at If you really like what you heard, we'd very much appreciate a rating or review. 
If you're looking for more insight on sports business in Canada, you can also check out our blog at cosmosports.com slash blog. We try to have a new piece at least once a week. My name is Evan Colborn. Thank you very much for listening. Talk to you soon.